1: Hi, this is Tracy L. Flatten hosting Independent Artisan Thinkers. I am so happy to welcome you to the show. We have a great show lined up for you today. I am grateful and humbled that so many people are listening to the show, both live and in the archives and in the iTunes podcast channel. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the shows. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality, and this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516 453 6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent thinkers and I am the chat room is open now. Email me in between guests if you want to suggest a guest or if you know a guest is coming up and you want me to ask a particular question of a guest. You can reach me at tracy at tracylslatin.com and that's T-R-A-C-I. In the coming weeks, some great guests are coming on. Next week on September 17th at 1 p.m., author, astrologer, and teacher. Oh, that's today. Um, Next week on Thursday, September 24th, Sufi dancer, entrepreneur, and founder of Neural Beings Coaching Anahita Moghadam will talk about mindfulness and self-actualization. On October 1, artist and atelier master Virgil Elliott will talk about art and the study of art. We have Linda Bachman, Who's an author and who writes about Between Lives Soul Regression coming on? And L.V. Lewis, who is an author who wrote very steamy, sizzling interracial romances. So tune in and keep chepping, checking the website com and the Blog Talk radio show um, page to find out who will be on the show. I am delighted today to have author, astrologer, and teacher Lynn Bell to talk about the archetypes and mythology of our horoscopes. And Lynn is joining us from Paris, which is pretty cool. Lynn Bell is a Paris-based astrologer whose work spans multiple cultures as a speaker, teacher, author, and consultant in astrology. Initially self-taught, she quickly built a private practice with an international clientele. After many years of teaching and lecturing throughout France, she was invited to join the Centre... For um, psychological astrology, the Center for Psychological Astrology in London in 1995. As a master consulting astrologer with a multi layered approach, Lynn's work combines psychological and spiritual perspectives. Her interest in working with familial patterns first emerged from work with clients. After personal work and analysis, Her training in Ericksonian hypnosis led to work in family systems and later several years of ongoing research groups on the charts of families. Her book on planetary patterns and families, Planetary Threads, was first published in 1998, and it's a great book, so I encourage you to get it. She lectures and teaches seminars around the world from Western Europe to far-off lands like Bali, Mexico, Australia, and South Africa, as well as the U.S., and most recently in China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. In the UK, she teaches for the Faculty of Astrological Studies Summer School in Oxford and the LSA, as well as the CPA. Outside the world of astrology, she has often collaborated with Carolyn Miss and her CMED Institute. She has been part of the faculty of the New Chartres School, held every year for the past seven years in Chartres, France, by Wisdom University. Her books are Cycles of Light, Exploring the Mysteries of Solar Returns, the Mars Quartet, and Planetary Threads. You can see more about Lynn at com. Lynn, welcome, and thank you so much for being on the show. Thank
0: you, Tracy. I, I'm, I'm sorry. very happy to be speaking to you. Can you hear me?
1: Yes, yes, I can hear you. So thank you. I'm really happy to talk to you. I've you know, had many readings with you over the decades, and you're an amazing astrologer, and um, I love your kind of there's a mythological resonance to your readings that I always find incredibly useful.
0: Well thank you, Tracy. One one of the things that is particularly notable right now is that Mercury is about to go retrograde. Uh so we're speaking it's about an hour and three minutes from now that Mercury will go retrograde, which means that it's standing still in the sky and so it's one of those particular moments where you can hone in on something with extraordinary precision and there's also something else happening in the next few hours which is a change of uh, a very major planet. Saturn is changing signs and so one of the things I'd like to share with people today is a little bit about the, the archetypal implications of those sign shifts or patterns.
1: Well, I'd love to hear it, and I, you and I spoke for a few minutes just before the show, and I had said to you that I had a two-day kind of meltdown, and about an hour ago started feeling better, and I was sort of wondering if that was Mercury retrograde or Saturn changing signs.
0: Well, I think it can be Saturn changing signs. It's been a very um complex summer for many people, in part because Saturn slipped backwards into Scorpio. And um this is of course in the Western astrological system where the signs are based on the equinoxes and solstices. And in this in this system uh Saturn had been in Scorpio which tends to bring up very, very deep, very powerful emotions, uh ravenous uh and destructive psychic attitudes. And uh Saturn had changed signs last December. And in the middle of June, on June fifteenth in fact, Saturn slipped back into Scorpio and it it almost seemed as though people were taken over a little bit by these psychic processes um and I saw a lot of people going through many difficult things, and someone I was working with today said, "I've just started to beat, feel better this afternoon. <laughs> like something is moving um having a it's like going a little bit if you remember the game of shoots and ladders um where if you land on certain squares, you would go way down and go backwards, and then on others you would zoom ahead um." it had a little bit of that feeling that people were being pulled down into something and now they're able to climb out of it. Well, I experienced this summer,
1: I worked, you know, especially with my little one, my 10-year-old was at camp, so I worked basically seven days a week round the clock and I just worked all summer, didn't bring my head up, and then it kind of culminated the last two days. I just melted down and then about an hour ago, it did feel like something shifted. I didn't know exactly, why
0: I could just feel that something was moving. Yes, that's how it works, and I and we don't, of course, know. We can one one of the ways that astrology works. Astrology is an imaginal system, and, and it, whether it's something that's been practiced for many, many thousands of years, and whether it's real or not, is something that a lot of people discuss. You know, uh, it's a little bit like discussing angels or energies, do they really exist? Do we have proof? And if we look with a Western scientific model, of course, we don't have proof. But when we look in terms of our place in the universe and the movement, uh, the quality of time we're in, um, it's very clear in these past few months that we've entered a new era. um, That's certainly the feeling I get looking at things from Europe. Um, And Sagittarius is a sign that has to do with boundaries. It has to do with foreign countries. It has to do with people from other cultures. And what's been in the news nonstop uh, for the past few weeks is the migrants just pouring into Europe. People people fleeing war. Yes, refugees. Um, I think there's been something going on for the past several years, which is people... um, uh, crossing the Mediterranean in boats from uh, Africa. And, but what's happened recently is that refugees have been fleeing Sir, Sir Syria, uh, which is a little bit different than what was happening before, but this is all mixed together. It's two different streams. So the refugees that are arriving in Europe are pouring in by the thousands. I read somewhere that 13,000 people uh, entered Munich on Saturday.
1: Wow. right
0: and what do you what do you do with all these people? They come from another culture, they have another religion, another belief system they 're fleeing probably certain deaths, certainly an inability to feed their own families they 're taking huge risks to do this, and they 're arriving in places where Basically, people are saying, we have a tradition of taking care of you. But this brings up so many things in um, the psyche. So Sagittarius is, Saturn in astrology rules boundaries, it rules limits, it rules um, stop signs, uh, moments where you just don't want to continue anymore. And there's been this movement in the past few days of, shutting down the boundary, reopening the boundary, shutting the boundary. Like, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with the other on this scale? And so this is one of the things that Saturn in Sagittarius is clearly um, waking up in the collective. And
1: and it's a kind of an archetypal
0: um, movement. Yes, you could say that our relationship, it's a fascinating pattern because we 've entered the period of globalization, right, and we 've been talking about this for a long time and for those of, for many, many years um, the you know there was a fascination in the seventies there was a fascination with everything foreign um during that time. A planet called Neptune was in Sagittarius for about fourteen years, and mm-hmm. everything that was foreign was exotic and attractive, whether it was India or Uh, often it was India or the Middle East or people would bring things home or bits of culture. And then we grew into this world where people are constantly moving with each other. And now we're in a new wave where all of a sudden, how do we keep our boundary? How do we keep our sense of self and not be overwhelmed? And so this is one of the things that everybody on the planet is working on in one way or another. Um, maybe not in the specific archetypal pattern, uh, but the idea of how open am I and how closed am I. This is a pattern or a question that's running through the psyche of humanity at the moment. That's cool.
1: Well, I want to hear more about this, but I also want to hear about you, Lynn, and how did you get started? (laughs) How did you begin your journey and what has it taken you for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be involved in astrology and mythology? Was astrology a major presence in your home when you were growing up? What did you think you would be? How did you come to live in Paris? So start with your childhood, start talking and just keep going till you get till
0: now. Okay. Well, with the, when I was a child, I lived, I grew up in Chicago on uh, the well, on the northwest side of the city, in a neighborhood. And Chicago is, in in many ways, a very um, right-angled place. You know, all the streets are, most of the streets are right-angled with each other. Uh, And people have certain coded ways of functioning. And I think the inside of my head was never Um, right-angled. I had, I was a great reader as a child, and I'm, without being aware of what I was looking for, uh, I was looking for something that would make sense of my world. And I grew up in a world that was, the explanations people gave me just fell flat. They seemed inadequate um, and pedestrian in many ways. You know, why does this happen? Well, that's just the way it is. So, so I have the kind of temperament from birth that would never be able to stop at such questions. And mm-hmm. so I read... And, is where I lived as a child, and um, I loved things that had to do with adventure, exploration, uh, fairy tales, uh, um, so I read my way through the Andrew Lang fairy tale books. I think there's, I don't know how many colors there are, but I probably read all of them as a child, so my sensitivity towards mythology yeah, t- Towards Mythology probably begins in this period, um, but I love stories. I love novels, um, and stories, um, you know, all great stories share certain patterns, I suppose. Well, I
1: discovered um, Joseph Campbell about three weeks ago. I mean, I've had books lying around the house for years. Three weeks ago, I rediscovered Joseph Campbell, and now I'm all Joseph Campbell all the time. So is that the kind of thing you're getting to the patterns of mythology?
0: Yes, I think that that's part of what I'm talking about. I read Joseph Campbell when I was in university. I, I Astrology is a little bit different. When I was, I, I would read anything you put in front of me. Like if you put a cereal box in front of me, I'd read the sides, the front, the back. If you... If, My family read three newspapers a day. And so one of the things in the newspaper were horoscopes. And I was fascinated by horoscopes from probably about the age of 11 or 12. And I remember I used to spend my allowance on um, horoscopes you could get for each sign. They kind of came rolled up in a gumball machine plastic thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this interest was very, very young. But nobody... You know, people. I was noticed numbers, and I noticed repetition, and I had a very good memory, so I knew everybody's birthday. And I tried to get more sophisticated, but it was difficult to find information. So eventually, um, uh, I think it's my mother who brought home Linda Goodman's Sun Sign, uh, probably mm-hmm. from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And we and we were reading passages out loud, and for me, this was the first thing I discovered that explained people human behavior to me. So um, I immediately, you know, asked everyone their birthday. I knew everybody's birthday. I remembered people's phone numbers and birthdays by heart. So it was one of those things that that suddenly the world could form categories that were useful to me in some way psychologically. Um, when I graduated from high school, you know how you used to have these predictions, what you would you would be when you would grow up? And I think uh, mm-hmm. the prediction that I would be somebody's psycho- psychoanalyst. You know, so uh-huh. that's the kind of temperament I had as a child. You know, if people noticed, no, that was when I was 14, 13, when you leave grammar school for high school. That was the prediction already. So it gives you an idea of my temperament. Um, part of the same thing got me, when I got to university, um uh-huh. I was already interested in astrology. I'd gotten a bit deeper. And I had um, uh, uh, teachers who really encouraged me. I did an independent study, and they gave me Jung, and they gave me Joseph Campbell to read. And myth studies was not really that, you know, I don't think it existed at that time, but basically that's what I did. I did myth studies for a year and designed my own program. And that brought, I, I was a great dreamer. And uh that brought my dreams together uh i was i could I had very detailed and intense dreams, and so suddenly I had a system that would code them, and at the same time, I was fairly intellectually oriented and rational, and everyone said, oh, I'd do this astrology is nonsense, and I'd give it away because at this time, you couldn't really discover astrology on a sophisticated psychological level which you could afterwards. Um, Mm -hmm. Two colleagues of mine wrote books in the 70s. Uh, Liz Green wrote a book in 1978 on Saturn and Stephen Arroyo around the same time that I suddenly recognized my own way of thinking in the way they talked about astrology. But until then, it was like digging through very dry dust, trying to find the gems. And so in many ways, I rediscovered astrology for myself. Um, and I would say that many, many people, this is a pathway. Uh, you're talking about independent thinkers or artistic thinkers. When you discover something, you look you're, when you rediscover something for yourself, you put it together in a way that's never been done before. And now in the astrological world, there's a, in the past 20 years, there's been a huge movement to discover the origins, the texts that were lost, ancient Greek thinkers in astrology, the medieval thinkers, the Persian thinkers, all of which is really wonderful. And bits of the system that were lost, um, have come back together to us, but nonetheless, this voyage of individual discovery of thinking in terms of symbols, in archetypes, um, is something that's incredibly exciting and powerful and passionate. As exciting as any archaeological discovery, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, did was you have a moment
1: did you have like an aha Did moment when light bulb went on over your head and you said, this is it, this is what I'm doing, I'm committing myself wholeheartedly to being an astrologer?
0: Uh, that was more difficult. Um, well, there's two things. Um, I'll, I'll back up a bit. I, l- I learned, because I couldn't really find as much information about astrology, so one wanted. I ended up learning palmistry. And um really understand it very well. And when I was 17, I started to read poems quite intensively. And I would find myself saying things when I was reading people's poems, but people would say, how did you know that? You know, I'd say, your mother died when you were seven. And someone would say, how could you know that? And I don't know where this information came from. I could obviously point it out, and I had a logical reason for saying something like that. But what I understood is that this whole way of thinking, of leaping into the intuitive signs and trusting them could work absolutely. So I discovered that quite young. So there's a bridge that was made in terms of the kind of knowing we have thats not that doesn't come from books or that doesn't come from a, only a rational investigation. So that was very important and I explored many things along those lines. And mm-hmm. I was really trying to, I dropped out of a PhD program. Uh you know, really I'm, studying I'm making a shortcut. Literature. Ah,
1: okay.
0: Uh so I I uh I was studying literature but when I got to the point of doing a doctorate I started to feel that it was deadening. And drying me out inside, I felt I began to feel bored with reading, which I had never felt in my whole life. I felt burdened by reading rather than enlightened by reading. And I, I took a leave of absence, essentially, and never went back. I had a, mm. a four-year fellowship to do a doctorate, and I walked away from it. Um, wow. And I walked away from it from some kind of inner imperative uh, because I knew that I had to follow this thing that was calling me, but I didn't know what it was. I couldn't say, oh, it's astrology that's calling me. It was sort of see- a kind of seeking that was calling me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And like many people I followed, I I went down many, many, many paths, you know, from Sufism to the I Ching to the Tarot to... Rudolf Steiner to many many things. I call it my first private esoteric studies. This mm-hmm. period, and um, and and I think that was a very common path for many people who really made astrology their life path. They had a very very similar way of moving down it. I traveled um, when I was about twenty-five. Uh, I traveled to Europe for about six months. And at the end of that trip, I ended up in the living room of people, uh, two Americans who were living in Paris, a couple, who became very good friends of mine, who have abs- not one single esoteric bone in their body. <laughs> but And they they were saying, well, what do you want to do? And at the time, I loved cooking. Uh, uh, I was passionate about food. Uh, and I loved Yes, you're story. an exceptionally said, good well, cook. What? Thank you, Tracy. <laughs> but I'm most eating people dinner don't know at your plate always
1: first rate. <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't, most people don't know that, uh, but, but in any case, um, this uh, friend of mine, Phil, he said to me, well, what is it you really love? I think what's important in life is doing what you love, and no one had ever said that to me. No one, many people had asked these questions, but... They'd um, uh, not known, uh, you know, There, it was the way the question was asked or the timing of the question where I said, well, when I do this, something happens that doesn't happen anywhere else in my life. So my choice to be an astrologer really came because I recognized that there was something in the room, something that happened between me and other people that, had a quality of exception and it had a kind of magic and it not i mean obviously there were times it did, it didn't it wasn't absolutely extraordinary um but it had a magic um and that is how i chose astrology because i recognized that
1: the magic in that path for you
0: for me and the people that i work with mhm something out of the ordinary some breakthrough in terms of the co- way you talk what you do what you practice and the quality of connection you have with the other pe- person when you're working at your best
1: well i i remember a specific moment in 1999 when i was in cape cod and you and i did a reading long distance over wow. the phone and you said there's a soulmate coming into your life next spring and you're not going to be able to walk away. And sure enough, the following spring, I met Sabin, my husband. So I, I've never forgotten that moment because it was, it was months before it happened, but it was so absolutely you know, crystal clear the way you phrased it and um, the timing of
0: it. It was very precise. Right, and it isn't that... You know, and I think what's very important to people listening to this is that they understand that, of, co- of course, that's a prediction, but I don't think of it as predictions exactly. It's just very, it's as if something is opening. You can see or feel the path around a person. And, of course, the astrological indicators will will confirm that or go in that direction, But it isn't the astrological indicators alone. It's um, sometimes there's a feeling of certainty around things. And sometimes there isn't. Uh, And read for the same people and and 10 years later done a reading and not be able to find that certainty. That certainty wasn't given in the reading. So I think it's very important that there is a combination of astrological indicators and symbols with a faded moment in another person's life. And the moment that person sits down and talks to the astrologer, the astrologer almost can touch into it. It's as if the other person's pathway is like water you can stick your hand in. That's
1: cool. Um, That's a wonderful image. Yeah, Well, I know some Um, of the readings we've had, you sort of, you bring up images to give me greater clarity for what's going on during the moment. And then I walk away from the reading with a much bigger view and a much um, greater understanding and openness to the moment than I would have had if I hadn't had
0: the reading. Yes, I think that's what readings are about. Readings are about reminding you that you and your life are much bigger than it feels right now, Uh where there's more going on than you can see. Because that's true of all of us. There's always more going on than we can see. There's a, a very large... I think each human being has a... it's it's so much more than they imagine. And really what a reading is about is about bringing them in some way into connection with that. And sometimes a reading might be extremely psychological. And I would say that, you know, I myself have done an an analysis um, and lots of other kinds of psychological work on myself and training. And sometimes that's what a reading calls for. And sometimes it doesn't call for that at all. Um, it calls for a discussion with uh, the spirit. And in in a way, I don't... A person might ask me for something very specifically. But even if they ask, something else might be, might be called for. I put a lot of trust in what emerges during the reading. Hmm.
1: And how much have you learned to do that? Like trust what comes up for you? How did you learn how to
0: follow that? Um. I have to say that I think I was um, you know, much more I I was very I pushed myself to master certain techniques and um, astrology is very technical. Uh, It really requires I mean, you know, there are lots of people with the internet these days. There's lots of people who just get online and talk about let's say Mercury retrograde because if you've heard someone else talk about it, you can talk about it. They might have read like astrology for six months and they can talk about it but they don't really know it they don't have any idea what it what how the whole system works so i would say that there's a period of apprenticeship and one one of the things that happened to me which was kind of exceptional i think is when i moved to paris um in my mid 20s um or uh i Uh, There was a period when I was very, very poor, and, you know, I was also, essentially, I didn't really have papers, and I was working and paid cash for cooking, in fact, and I was doing readings for people, but I was in this very in-between space, and during this time, um, I had a lot of work done, and you mentioned Joseph Campbell uh, recently, uh mm-hmm. earlier in this in our conversation. And uh it's funny because uh when I was teaching at Oxford, the Oxford Summer School uh in August, I did I put up Joseph Campbell's chart. He was one of my examples. Oh, and really? um yes, and he talks about a moment uh very interesting in his story uh where he w- got into a PhD program in uh to study Classics, I believe, and he wanted to bring literature? in the studies. of hmm? maybe medieval literature. Yeah, he wanted to do medieval literature. I think you're right, and uh, he wanted also to learn Sanskrit, and he wanted also to learn um, modern art as part of his doctorate. And they refused. You know, he wanted to do something which wasn't done at that time. Kimball was born in 1904. Uh, so he had this very wide ranging mind and because of that he already had a master's degree he dropped out Mm -hmm. he left, he left academia and he lived in a shack in the wood for five years and during this time he traveled to California he met Steinbeck and the guy who was based on the character Doc in Steinbeck's novels and he said during that time of doing nothing he was reading nine hours a day he said during that time, everything came together inside. Mhm, so I would say that during my early Paris time when it looked like I wasn't really doing much of anything, you know from the outside, it probably looked like I was going backwards um, I was everything was coming together inside. And that's very important in a person's life, that everything comes together from inside. That's Mm -hmm. how you can take an independent path. That's how you can create. Um, No matter how wonderful the outer structures you get, it's that putting them together that really um, shapes a creative individual. Um, And during this
1: time... You you feel that that time when you were putting things together inside yourself is what allowed you to create this, you know, really kind of an extraordinary life as a teacher, an astrologer, an author, a speaker. But
0: mm-hmm. it was as if they were showing me that it wasn't happening in words. It was happening through some other form of knowledge, uh, as if people were showing me shapes and colors. And I was in some kind of school in my dreams. I was uh, in that
1: school so when I was in... When I was in a healing
0: school, you know, I was
1: a healer for a number of years, and I used to have the same thing happening in dreams, where I would be learning healing techniques in my dreams. That's so it sounds right. like you're having dreams.
0: Yes, well, these were for me. These were definitely dreams of. Learning on a different level. It was when I was doing those dreams that I realized that what I knew, that the facts I knew or the information I knew was now moving to a totally different level of integration. So when you say, how did I learn to do a reading? Again, you, as I told you when I learned to read palms, I trusted knowledge that comes through the intuitive leap. I learned to do that very young. But I also trusted that knowledge when with astrology, with this very intensive study of technique and and learning to calculate charts by hand and using logarithms and, you know, sometimes making mistakes and having to do it all over again. Um, But it was moving beyond that so that the knowledge was not just in my head, but in my whole being. And then I would say the knowledge was in my head and in my body uh, I had a lot of intuitive perception during readings, a lot of physical perceptions. And then again, it shifted again. Um, and and uh, I'll never forget something that Carolyn May said to me. She said, uh, when we met, I told her that sometimes I would get physical symptoms during the session, and I'd say, Do you have, are you having pain in you know your lumbar vertebrae? And people would say, well, as a matter of fact. Uh, mm-hmm. it, so I would actually feel symptoms, which is easily And she said to me it was because I was coming through, I was using third chakra intuition, Mm -hmm. um, that I was connecting through the solar plexus, and that if I moved my attention to sixth chakra intuition, that it would change completely. So um, when you do that, uh, and I did. uh, So somebody just gives you, says the right thing to you at the right time, someone exceptional as well, Mm -hmm. who really understands the process. And you understand that intuition can come from a different, you're seeing from different places. So I'm always using the chart, but I'm seeing from a different place than I used to. Mm -hmm.
1: And tell us about working, well, before I ask this question, I just want to repeat. You said you trusted the knowledge that came through the intuitive leap. That's such a beautiful phrase. Yeah, thank you. So tell us about working with family patterns and Ericksonian
0: hypnosis. Uh, Well, uh, well, there are two things there. One is, you know, after uh, Ericksonian hypnosis came, I'd been in a long period of an analysis, and psychoanalysis gets you in a kind of self-referencing leap Uh, where everything comes almost from your past. You know, you're a product of forces of your past. And there's a limit to that. I mean, I think it's a very... For me, it was a very important process, and for many people, it's a very important process. But I had... uh, I knew many people in the psychotherapy community here, community, and friends of mine would say, Lynn, you have a way of using language and communication. Um, You should really consider doing hypnosis because you're doing it already. So I went, someone was recommended to me and a a guy who was a brilliant, really, I think a genius, really gifted communicator who was a therapist who worked with adolescents and also on Ericksonian hypnosis. And I did his training and it was such a Again, when you—if I don't know if you've ever been hypnotized, um, Tracy—but mm-hmm. yeah. the first time you're you're hypnotized, where you, in a way, your individual will is no longer operative. Um, uh, it's it, for me, it made me angry, and it was wonderful at the same time. It's like you hold on to yourself. Um, I think human beings hold on to themselves in these very powerful ways, and there's a moment you really need to let go of yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, so, leaping, uh, again, it's a kind of leap into a space where you let go. Hypnosis allows you to slip over the boundaries of what you consider I. Um, And if it's done with an intention for healing and an intention for contacting the higher self, um, then it's an extraordinary experience which is, of course, mm-hmm. the only way I would want to do hypnosis. Um, I don't actually, well, I very rarely practice hypnosis, but I would say that it is very much part of an an atmosphere or a way of communicating. Mm-hmm. So family patterns is slightly different. Um, in part, my... Um, Hypnosis trainer was a family therapist. And I'd always been interested in family patterns. Like I, And families, people would send me their brothers, their sisters, their mothers, their fathers, their cousins, their partners. So it was something that would happen automatically in my practice. I would get families and I'd say, this is so interesting because this is here, this is there. I would notice patterns. Mm-hmm. And um, in noticing these patterns, I started to get, ask myself questions. And so I did a lot of training in family systems work. I mean, I'm not a trained Like Hellinger's just work, to clarify. like
1: Family Constellations? or
0: No, this is way before Family Constellations. So it's before Family Constellations was known much outside of Germany. So there's something called Family Systems work that was pioneered in the U.S. by Bowen, uh, uh, Whitaker, those, I would say, are the first people that jump to my mind. There's a guy with a Hungarian name named Inaj. Mm-hmm. Um, in Inaj. Uh, anyway, there's... And I was very, very lucky. Um, uh, to Chloe Madonis and Jay Haley, both of whom were Ericksonians, but who also worked with family systems. And the idea is is that you don't that a family has a psyche, a family has an energetic pattern. And I think Bowen once said that, you know, when you go home for Christmas, you always say, I'm never going to talk to my mother like this or my sister. I'm really tired of that. I'm done with that. I've done years of work on myself and you slip right back into it. You can't stop it. Mm -hmm. And he calls this the family trance, the family Mm -hmm. trance. And as if there is something more powerful than the individual. So I think there is something common in my, in the way that I entered into family systems thinking and into hypnosis. They kind of came together in my life as interest. And then I started working with my students in Paris and I created these groups to look at their family patterns and they would bring in quite a lot of charts and we would, what, what I discovered is that every family is connected in different ways. It's not like every family is connected through the moon or every family is connected through Saturn. or Sometimes no, no one in the family is connected through Saturn, but their pattern is totally different. And so what we were doing is identifying individual patterns of connection, and it's almost like then seeing what you tweak along those places of connection to change things. Mm -hmm. So that's what I got very interested in, um, and I wrote a book about it, and uh, uh, the book was uh, re-edited by Ibis Press uh, a couple of years ago, so it's it's available, yeah, it's called Planetary Threads with a D, um, and a wonderful artist friend of mine did the cover for the new edition, which I really love, Um, so I'm very happy that it's back in print, and I rewrote. Some of the introduction as well. So
1: cool. I think I have an
0: older edition.
1: I'll have to look it up. But tell us about
0: your books. Well, um, that's the first book. And again, these are. I, I remember I have a friend who who is a novelist, a client of mine who is a novelist, and she read this book and she said they were interesting. You know. So you you, in in the books that I've written, there there's certainly technique and she said she would just skip over the technical parts and the and it was fascinating to read. Um so um another book I have is on solar returns, uh which again is quite uh is a technique which I worked on in very um I discovered some things. It's a technique that's very important in France, and uh, many people ask for their solar return. It's essentially a chart for your birthday. Um, and you read it with other things, and I think that's one of the things you first came to me for, Tracy, was the solar return and the famous moment of telling you you would meet someone was based on your solar return. So, Yeah, but I don't think uh, that was our that, first reading. I don't think that was our first reading. No, I that? don't think... I don't think so. I don't think so. No, it definitely wasn't. Um, no, it definitely wasn't. But I'm assuming I was using the solar return. Then
1: I think I read an in the Mountain Astrologer. Wasn't that how I found yes, you? Yes, that's
0: how you found me. Yeah, that's yes. How you and found you're me. a
1: wonderful no. writer, Lynn. I loved the article, and I oh, thank you and That was before the internet, so I had I think I emailed or uh, sent you a letter or called or something. That was before yes, I could that's right. write. that's <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, it's way, way, yes, yeah, way pre that. Um, yeah, so my second book is on um, Solar Returns. And again, um, right now that book is out of print, and um, I'll be bringing it back into print next year. And I think I want to do some new things with it. So, um I'm thinking about exactly how we will do that. And then I'm a co-author of a book on Mars. And uh, when we, there were four astrologers, who uh, Liz Green, uh, who's a wonderful union analyst, uh, Darby Costello, and Melanie Reinhardt, all fabulous astrologers. And each of us, Mars, Mars is, as we know, the god of war. And mm-hmm. uh, Mars is basically has to do with aggression and instinct and anger and conflict in astrology. Astrologers, particularly, it's, you know, kind of like the guy who drinks the beer and burps in your living room. That's kind Mm -hmm. of how Mars felt to astrologers. You would just talk a little bit about him. And suddenly, I remember I was in London, um, and I suddenly felt, I need to teach a workshop on Mars. And uh, people were saying, well, no one's done Mars for a really long time. And one of my colleagues said, I want to teach on Mars too. But since I was first, I did it. And I think 50 people came to this seminar, which is a big turnout for a seminar. And there was an excitement in the room. And around this time was when the movie Gladiator came out. And, you know, it was... There's something about masculine energy. I think people don't remember this, but in the late 90s, there was a lot of talk about you know, the feminine and men should be sensitive and it was all about feelings and all of a sudden you had this film gladiator with this muscle bound, this pure Mars archetype. And when and it just felt like something was drumming into the psyche of the world and we were all writing on mars i finished my manuscript on mars on i think september 7th 2001 and mm-hmm. one of my chapters was wanted dead or alive <sighs> and it was it was we were all talking about this aggression or the that was re emerging. Like in other words, we'd gotten too nice nice or something, or believed too much in some ideal or illusion of harmony. And something was trying to push its way back into the collective. And it was so I think all four of us, all the writers writing on it, we felt that Mars energy come back. And it's so obvious in the world. You know, you know, Tracy, talking about archetypes, there's a um, on my website, uh, there's a video um, as, which you can you can scroll through and see a video. And it was an interview mm-hmm. done, um, or you if you look me up on YouTube and you look up Lynn Bell, it has a green background. Anyway, there are two of them. It's in two parts. And this video was actually taped in 2000 and 2010, and people the people doing it were very professional, and they wanted to know about 2012. And I said, well, it's not 2012. I said, there's a new energy coming up into the collective, and we could call it the New Barbarians. Mm. And uh, they will be knocking at the gates of the citadel. And it's, it's. I was talking about a pattern between planets that was going to begin to form in 2010, but that we could already feel in 2008. What was that pattern? And it's Uranus square Pluto, but it's uh. also the arrival of Uranus in Aries in this energy of the individual. And you're talking about Uranus and Aries from the point of view of independent thinkers, independent the individuals, people who aren't going, more and more young people who are going to sidestep the big schools or who are going to move um, in other... They're going to take an independent path to knowledge, a little bit like I was talking about earlier in my own process. This is something mm-hmm. coming back in the world, People have to start over again, um, and to a certain extent, the structures of the world have—they're getting to a point where they're stopping growth rather than supporting growth. I see
1: that in publishing. Um, I see that in book publishing a lot. Were the old, you know, in the the art. legacy publishers and the and the art. I had Peter Trippi on. He's the editor of Fine Arts Connoisseur magazine, and he was talking about the toxic art market trade. That was something he coined to talk about how all the top, you know, most expensive famous galleries feed into the same museums, and they all feature the same, you know, fifty artists. So that if you see an exhibit. In New York, you'll see it in Copenhagen. You'll see it and You'll see it wherever you go because there's no more growth. That these, I see it in the art world. I see it in publishing, where the same top people are published over and over again, and it's very hard. To, it's harder and harder for anyone new to break in. Although the good news is there are more and more democratic grassroots ways for artists and writers to get their work out to the public.
0: Yes, and I I think this is very much Pluto is in Capricorn, which is a sign that controls things from the top down, you know, and so you know the one percent. How often is that thrown around? But the control from the top down, and I think this is also true of the educational system, so expensive that it creates a system of indentured servitude, um, based on education. In other words, you're indentured until you can pay off those debts. Mm -hmm. And uh, so individuals will be striking out in new ways, Um, and that's Uranus and Aries. And these two have been, you could say, in an archetypal battle between power from the top down, and the individual spirit that will find a new way through no matter what barrier, no what barbed wire fence is put up, no matter how difficult it is. And for some people, those standard ways of doing things will be open to them or will be the right ways, way for them. It's not to say that those are always bad, um, uh, but there is a tension right now um, and a need to find these new pathways.
1: Well, I'm all about Uranus and Aries. <laughs> uh, yes, I,
0: I can tell. I can tell, Tracy. <laughs> um, and Joseph Campbell, by the way, was an Aries, with a Leo moon. He was an Aries, and, um, an Aries Sun,
1: Leo moon. What was his rising sign?
0: Uh, I believe, wait a minute, let me have a look. I was just looking at it. Libra. Ah, that's nice. I like that. Good yes. So he was a very fiery individual, four planets in Aries. So it's fascinating that you you've had the books lying around for years and you've just picked them up because he will bring that spirit. And some way his somehow his own pathway took that spirit, um, <laughs> well, or his spirit that. took You're that coming. pathway. It,
1: Tell tell us about your upcoming events, workshops, trainings and so forth.
0: Okay. Well I'll be I'll be teaching um in London uh next weekend. I'll be teaching at the Center for Psychological Astrology, uh something on um never grow up. Uh basically I'll be working with the archetype of the puer eternus. Uh the idea and I'm looking at Jupiter as a planet that doesn't grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, all those people, you know, whether it's a child or a partner, they don't follow the rule. Ordinary rules do not apply. So I'm very interested in that. So I'll be teaching that next weekend. And in the in month, at the end of October, I'll go to Taiwan and then to Shanghai, where I'll be teaching for um, different groups for a school there. I've already gone to Taiwan. And I haven't taught in Shanghai before, but I've taught in uh, Beijing. And it's very exciting for me to work with Chinese students because there's the beginning. Um, young Chinese people are are so interested in astrology and so eager to learn about themselves. It's like they're breaking into individual consciousness right now, and it's a very, wow. it's very, it's very wonderful to be in that environment. And um, I'll be again, in London later, and then I'll be in Australia at uh, at the end of January, early February, teaching in, uh, I'll be at a Congress in a big conference in Sydney, and then in Byron Bay and Melbourne. So uh, I have a lot going on and then it's not always like that, but this happens yeah, to be one yeah. of those periods where I'm on the verge of some big trips. And, um, and then when I'm home in Paris, um, I do readings in person and over Skype. Uh, and, you know, doing work for individuals is always, um, at the core of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh,
1: yes. And I, I know, encourage but, my listeners, I encourage my listeners to get readings with you cause they're amazing and, you know, thought provoking. And I think it takes me at least a month to kind of, um, chew over everything you said and process and metabolize it and, People can go to lindbell.com, no, Lindbell Lynn Astrology, L-Y-N-N-B-E-L-L
0: Astrology.com. Right? How else they can they contact you? That's right. Um, they can contact me. My email is uh, Mac, com. And they should put astrology in the title because because if you just say hello or you know it might just go into spam and be lost forever. So. Um, yeah, but I'm welcome. Email's welcome. Uh, it's a good way to contact me.
1: And where do you see your work in five years
0: or ten years? Well, uh, Tracy, that's very interesting because I really, I mean, I I love, um, one of the reasons I travel is that um, working live in front of a group of astrologers has, again, it's a sort of, it's a little bit different than doing a reading. It's a little bit of a performance art. And although I've started to do online webinars, and um, if you if you sign up for mail from my site, there'll be information about the next webinars I'm going to be doing. Uh, I'll probably do one in December, um, um, maybe on what to look for in the coming year. Uh, but I'll I I still go and work in front of a live audience because. There's something, again, uh, as I would have said about readings earlier, something magical that happens there. Um, And um, I had an amazing time teaching in Oxford in August. Uh, It's a wonderful astrological school there uh, that happens one week a year. I don't teach there every year necessarily, but there are students from all over the world. And I love that. I love that aliveness and the personal connection. But I think in five years, I would love to do some more writing um, and, you know, maybe have um, more time to be at home and think. And um, I see myself continuing to work and do readings because astrologers, we do that. We just, mm-hmm. uh, we we have that uh, excitement, that edge. And the longer you've done it, the more you have it. Um, mm-hmm. So well, that's we only what have- I see happening.
1: We only have a minute or two. Any last words? And let's remind my listeners that they can find you at linbellastrology.com dot com. Any last words for listeners?
0: Oh, my last words for listeners are that you're you know this is a day for moving out of the swamp into the fire. <laughs> the swamp of Scorpio and the fire of Sagittarius, and it's a very it's it's a time when. Our hope is tested, but if you have faith,
1: that's wonderful. Thank Lynn, you, thank Tracy. You, thank you so much. You're amazing guest. I really appreciate. It. Thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. And um, and we'll hopefully have you on next year to talk some more.
0: Yeah. Well, you're doing an amazing job with this show, Tracy. It's a great great to see you do that and to connect with so many different uh, and exciting individuals.
1: Yeah, thank you, Lynn. So, to all my listeners, thanks for tuning in. This is a remarkable conversation with Lynn Bell. And um next week we have uh Anahita Moghadam, a Sufi and uh, the founder of Neural Beings Coaching talking about mindfulness. So, thanks again for listening. Talk to you next week. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.